a little while ago, well, uh, at the time Betsy Rosen was concluding her ministry here with you, I had the wonderful gift and opportunity to preach for you, with you. And if any of you can remember that, uh, I, I gave you a homework assignment. And so I come today to collect the homework. <laughs> now, if you don't remember what the homework assignment was, it's uh, my mantra as I uh, move about the diocese that in every congregation there are at least two deacons waiting for the people of that congregation to tap them on the shoulder and say, isn't it about time you took this seriously? So I'm hoping that activity is going on here and that you are looking about to see others who can step into the role in parts of the church that Annette is here to be with you today and from now on. You are witnesses of these things. After abruptly appearing, showing wounds, eating and exhorting, Jesus says to his hidden and huddled followers, you are witnesses of these things. Now, from our perspective on a third Sunday of Easter, having taken our own journey through the familiar events of Holy Week and the great party that Easter Day has become, Jesus' words seem unnecessarily obvious. I mean, well, yeah. They've just seen the one they last saw dying on a cross. They hear him speak. They see him eat. Of course, they're witnesses. To catch the weight of Jesus' words, we need to pause and put ourselves back in that moment with the disciples. It's not that they haven't seen people raised from the dead. We know of Jairus' daughter, the son of the widow of Nain, and of course Jesus' special friend Lazarus. The Gospels tell us there were unnamed others. These restorations to life were in and of themselves extraordinary as were the healings and the exorcisms that were the signs of the emerging promise of God that Jesus named a kingdom. The disciples had been taught much and they'd seen much done by their friend, rabbi, and perhaps even Messiah. So why are they now in such a state that we hear them described as awed, frightened, amazed, terrified, wondering, joyful, and disbelieving. Clearly these are men and women who are experiencing something heretofore unknown. A new thing. What we now use the word resurrection for, they had no words to describe. The vivid presence of the familiar yet totally unfamiliar Jesus was to them to use inadequate 20th century slang completely mind-blowing. And in this raw and disoriented state, they hear with some urgency, you are witnesses of these things. From what, else, from what else we hear Jesus say in today's gospel, witness is about much more than the kaleidoscope of post-resurrection appearances. Each church year, we join the disciples to journey with Jesus. We first experience him making the case for a holy reign of God that's not in the past, and not in the sky, but around us waiting to break in. 
and to transform the brokenness of the world in which we live. Once he thinks the case is made, he then tells them that for the kingdom to come, as we constantly pray that it will, the Son of Man must suffer, die, and rise on a third day. Obviously, this simply didn't compute. We get the sense from Scripture that the disciples' typical response to this was a head-scratching, huh? Peter challenged it directly and got likened to Satan. Though they experienced the dramatic enactment of a sacrificial action in a last supper and then go to the garden and sleep it off. When arrest, trial, and crucifixion happen, they bolt in fear. Through all of this again in our slang, they just don't get it. The birth, life, teaching, death, and resurrection of Jesus is now our story, but it was not immediately clear to those caught in the story. In today's appearances, Jesus one more time says, thus it is written that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. A few years later, as we heard in today's reading from Acts, Peter and John are engaged in the work of witness. They give a sign, the healing of a lame man, and then they tell the story and it's good news and they say, to this we are witnesses. So this is where it might get a little discomforting for us. Jesus' words, remembered from that totally disorienting resurrection moment with the piece of fish, are not just for those immediately assembled, but for all those who choose to follow as disciples, disciples of all time, disciples present here this morning, you and me. We have the fullness of the story. We have our own experience of the Holy One. And even when we are amazed or disbelieving, we too are to be witnesses of these things. What things? The signs and the substance of God's promised holy reign that will save, restore, and reconcile, that will infuse our world with transforming presence. Witness is much more than just seeing. Indeed, in our most secular use of the term witness, it's not only a person who saw something, but a person who speaks, affirms, and testifies to the truth of it. As witnesses, we are not passive observers or simply consumers of holy things. We are the words. We are the actions, the signs that show God's holy reign and how it might be in all those mundane places where we live and work and interact and participate. Or as we promised in the baptismal vows we renewed two weeks ago that we will proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ. That we will seek and serve the Christ in all persons, loving neighbor as self, that we will strive for justice and peace, respecting the dignity of all human beings. That is how we will be witnesses of these things.
Now, perhaps this morning you may think that's a fairly tall order. Well, another piece of good news, the church in her wisdom from its earliest times has discerned and set apart deacons to help us become the witnesses we are called to be, that we want to be, but may be hesitant. Over the countless centuries, leaders of the church, some of their skeptical critics and a current generation of scholars, ask the question, why and how did this Jesus movement grow so quickly from a terrified band in that upper room to a major presence in the then known world? There are many variables, but throughout there is one constant. The world noticed was moved by and drawn to a religious community that cared for others, both in and beyond that community. We are given the phrase, see how these Christians love one another, with a love that spilled out of small house churches and underground gatherings to care for the desperate and the destitute, the stranger, even the enemy. What they had was shared, and outcasts were taken in. In this lived witness, which we would now name with the fancy Greek word praxis, emerged a distinctive leadership of the deacons who acted and spoke up for those with no voice, how they love one another in very practical ways that meet human needs in the fear and disillusionment of a crumbling empire. There's a story that hovers somewhere between legend and documented fact that the origin of the cross and torches that we use in our Sunday processions was first a cross lit in the dark so that people in the streets of besieged Rome could see that the deacon had come. That the deacon had come with the food or the coin or the clothes or whatever was needed. The resurrection with the appearances that embodied it was alarming and disorienting. It was radically new. It's the promise of new life and the sign of new ways to be in and with God and with others. And it didn't take long for the disciples to find their feet and begin the enterprise of kingdom building. And it continues right to this moment and in this place. And the deacon has come. She's come, not to fix everything, in fact, not to fix anything, but to help each and all here find out how you will be witnesses to these things. We each have unique gifts of the Spirit that can bring God and God's reconciling love close to someone in need, someone who's waiting for our witness. Your deacon can listen and learn and point the way and accompany and encouragement encourage and perhaps even offer some tools. She will persistently claim the good news in your midst, the good news that is the heart of our witness in action, and she will be there for us as we seek to respond. What a blessing for the people of our Savior. What a blessing for Mill Valley. What a blessing for the world beyond, for the deacon. The deacon has come. But enough of my talk.
your deacon is here, let's get on with welcoming Annette, your new deacon and companion in witness to these things. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.